there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week, in honor of really kind of the start of Oscar season, Scott decided to introduce me to a very Oscar-y movie. From the year 1999, and also a very tear-jerking movie. Scott, what have you subjected me to this week? We have watched Stephen King's The Green Mile. Yes. Now, as you guys know, because I am who I am at this point, if you don't know, now you know, I like to read. And if a movie we watch is based on a book, I like to read it. And I literally... Just finished the book like a couple hours before we watched the movie of Green Mile. And in a way, I'm kind of bummed that I did that, but also very happy because the book was phenomenal. Like by far my favorite Stephen King book that I've ever read. I haven't read them all. Although after reading The Green Mile, I just wanted to read more. There's a reason he's a legend. The The reason that I'm also kind of bummed about it is because... According to Stephen King, even, this is his most faithful film adaptation. There's really very little change between the book and the film. So any shocking moments that happen in the movie, and there are quite a few, weren't a surprise to me watching the film. And I feel like it would have hit me harder not knowing before going in. But at the same time, like I said, the book was fantastic. I highly recommend, if you're a bookworm like me, to read it. But the film was also quite fantastic. Yeah, the, the film is great. I watched it a long time ago. I had a debate in my head which Stephen King adaptation to show Frankie here, whether I chose The Green Mile or I showed her Shawshank. But we focus on Green Mile, which was huge. It is a Oscar staple movie, I feel like. Yes, even though it didn't win any Oscars, but it should have. It is a great, depressing story <laughs> it's a great depressing story <laughs> it is it, it's it's hard to describe this movie because there are some fun moments to it but yeah in the end it's about people on death row i mean i will say reading the book i got a lot out of the book obviously but watching the movie i did have a different experience because there are a lot of funny moments that i laughed out loud and you wouldn't think that with a movie that has such a heavy subject matter However, it really, it worked for the movie and it worked to lighten things up a little bit, which I think helped a lot because this movie, by the way, it is the longest movie we've ever watched on Shoot the Flick at 189 minutes. It's over three hours long, kids. The next longest one that we've watched on this show is Watchmen, which was two hours and 43 minutes so we were in for the long haul this and, episode and this one didn't have a flamethrower of cum so where did we have a flamethrower of cum in Watchmen did I block that out where it, hallelujah he hits as he's coming oh and the flamethrower shoots yeah. out oh my god no 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 <laughs> no hallelujah. oh no oh no oh no 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 Ew, I hate it. Okay, 
I actually didn't hate that movie, but I hate that scene. Okay, gonna forget that. We're moving on to much bigger and better things. This film was written and directed by the great Frank Darabond. He wrote and directed also Shawshank Redemption and The Mist, which is also another movie on Scott's list for me because I haven't seen that. Oh, that one hurts. That one hurts. But he also is one of the developers on The Walking Dead. He wrote Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and the Blob remake in the 80s. Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is a crazy movie, but it is fun. Okay. I don't know. I haven't seen the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but the Blob remake is good. So there's that. Hey. Uh, And the man has called this film, Green Mile, the most satisfying film of his career. Which I could see why, because it really is just an all-around fucking masterpiece. Well, not even that. Yes, it is a masterpiece. But look at the people he had to work with, man. Uh, yeah, this this cast is fucking stacked, man. I mean, we're going to talk about it. This film is IMDb's number 29 film on its list, but in between Interstellar and Parasite. This film was nominated for four Oscars. Again, as I mentioned, didn't win any. A lot of people, including Scott, I think believe that Michael Clark Duncan won for uh, Best Supporting Actor, but he actually didn't, unfortunately. For those of you who don't know, I feel like everybody does, but just in case, Michael Clark Duncan plays John Coffey in this film. We're going to get to John Coffey, guys. But anyway, he does an amazing performance, and he was nominated for the Oscar, but he lost the Oscar to Michael Caine in the film Cider House Rules, which I don't believe I've seen. No, I haven't seen that one. But the funny story I have to go with it is I believe he was on the Conan show, Michael Clark Duncan, at some time, and he said that when he was sitting in the audience and he heard Michael, he thought it was him, and he got like excited for a second, and then he's like, oh, Michael Caine. <laughs> God damn it, Michael Caine. Oh, yeah, unfortunately, he, he did not win. I, I can't imagine. I mean, he was just... Ugh, so fucking incredible. But anyway, this movie was nominated for three other Oscars. It was nominated for Best Sound, of course, but lost because it's 1999 to The Matrix. Uh, it was nominated for Adapted Screenplay, but again, lost to Cider House Rules. And then it, of course, was nominated for Best Picture, but lost to American Beauty. Never seen American Beauty, but like, fuck you. We're not going to watch American Beauty. Ever. I don't want to. I don't care. <laughs> I know Kevin Spacey's in it, but even if he wasn't, I don't care. Fuck that. This movie's better. <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan, it's funny because this is the third time he's appeared on our show. This, the whole nine yards, and the island. And I think in all of those, he's given stellar performances. Yeah, but this is the only movie that we've done of his that is actually legitimately good. I mean, I like the island, but like it's widely not seen as a great movie. But the reason that he is so fucking great, Michael Clark Duncan, is because even if he's in a shit movie, and he has been in shit movies, I mean, look at the man's IMDb, but he always gives an A-plus performance no matter what piece of shit he is in. He gives his all to every role. He holds his own with fucking Tom Hanks. Uh, Yeah. And one last thing before, I just want to mention it before we get into the nitty-gritty. The score throughout this movie because I'm sure we'll, we'll bring it up a couple of times, is really, really fucking good. Like, I don't know how this gentleman that scored this movie wasn't nominated for Best Score, because the score, like, really just tells the story throughout the whole movie. The composer's name is Thomas Newman. He's a very well-known composer. He's done a bajillion movies, including American Beauty. Uh, he did Shawshank, Wall-E, Finding Nemo. 
uh, the James Bond movie Skyfall, most recently 1917. He's been nominated 14 times for a fucking Oscar, and apparently not for this movie. Why? I don't know. But Frank Darabont called his score for The Green Mile, and I quote, a rainbow of music and emotion, which I love that quote. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a great quote. It's true. It adds so much to every scene. We we say it all the time. The score needs to enhance the movie it's in. Yeah, this is like a textbook version of that, I think. It, it really does. Go look it up. It's great. But yeah, so you ready to get into the nitty gritty, Frankie? I like I am and I'm not, but like, let's fucking do it. We, we got to do it. <laughs> I'm very prepared. I have my notes, but my notes cannot contain my emotions. So we start with a look at this manhunt. These people are running, screaming... And suddenly, this dream sequence is ended, and we wake up with this old man in this nursing home, whose name is Paul. And Paul, him and all the rest of the old folks in this community watch a movie. Well, first they're watching TV, and this is like the first moment where we get some humor in the movie, and it kind of like slapped me in the face, because mind you, I just finished reading the book and like crying my eyes out. So <laughs> all these old folks are sitting in this like little parlor area watching the TV, and of course, because it's 1999, this movie came out, they're watching Jerry Springer, <laughs> and one of the old guys gets up to change the channel, he's like, why the fuck are we watching this? All they talk about is fucking, <laughs> and I'm like, what the shit? Okay. That made me laugh. Yeah, I guess good. we're in it now. But he uh, switches it to a Fred Astaire movie, Top Hat, playing the cheek-to-cheek scene. Yeah, where it's basically Fred Astaire and some beautiful woman dancing in a little ballroom, and he's singing the song Cheek-to-Cheek. And I seem to find the happiness I seek When we're out together dancing cheek-to-cheek This causes Paul to break down. Yeah, so he goes off into a little private room with his little old lady friend, Elaine, and he basically starts weaving this tale about his life as a prison guard on the death row section of this prison called the E-Block. And this is where the film really starts, and it's basically set up similar to how it is in the book as sort of a framing device the old man Paul telling his little nursing home friend this incredible story of his time at this prison in the 30s. We go back in time, and Paul is now Tom Hanks. And Paul has the worst urinary tract infection he's ever had. Yeah, Uh, just to put it in context, this was right in between Toy Story 2 and Castaway. And by this point, he had already won two Oscars for Philadelphia and for Forrest Gump. So he had already pretty much completely transitioned into that. I'm a dramatic, serious actor. Now give me my Oscars, bitch. That kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah, but even with all the dramatic stuff, he still has this charm about him. Oh, absolutely. And there are, what, four or five points in this movie where we get... Tom Hanks pissing face. Oh my god. <laughs> when I read it too in the book, that a whole section of the movie is surrounding his urinary tract infection. I'm like, are they really going to show this in the movie? Like, there's no way. And sure enough, they show him multiple times just in incredible pain while he's pissing. I'm like, Jesus Christ. And uh, oh my god. Anyway, he does have an incredible charm. I mean, I knew he was in this movie before I read the book. 
and I knew he was playing the main character, obviously, because, you know, Tom Hanks. So, like, as I'm reading the book and reading how likable his character Paul Edgecombe is, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense that they casted Tom Hanks. He's an incredibly likable guy, even though he's a hard ass that works on the block with these crazy, dangerous criminals, you know, he still is, like, incredibly charming. Yeah, and we do meet some of his other guards here. We have his second-in-command, Brutal, who is played by David Morse. Yeah, he's a real character actor. Like, if You, you look, know him. Yeah, if you look at him, you're like, oh, it's that guy. Actually, we've talked about him before because he was in Long Kiss Goodnight, which I believe was one of our Christmas episodes last year. Yes. Uh, so we also meet a younger guard played by Barry Pepper. I can't wait to show you Battlefield Earth. Because he's good in this movie, but then you watch Battlefield Earth and you're like, oh no, honey, what happened? <laughs> what happened to you? But he did B- Battlefield Earth the following year, by the way. Was, uh, that was like 2001 or something. Or uh, 2000. I, don't, I don't know. Barry. Barry. But what's funny is he plays a character called Dean Stanton. And when I read that in the book, I was like, oh, I hope Harry Dean Stanton's in this movie. That would be funny. And sure enough, he is. But he's like a totally random side character that's just there to be loud and obnoxious, which I mean, fun. But we'll get to him. Yeah. So Um, we also have yet another guard named Harry, and he's played by Jeffrey DeMunn who I think is kind of a Frank Darabont staple. I know he's been in other Frank yeah. Darabont movies, but I know him as Dale from The Walking Dead. Oh, God, that's right. He is Dale. Yeah, I love Dale. And then we're about to meet Percy, who is the bastard of this movie. Yeah, he's, well, one of the bastards. There's, there's a couple of bastards to speak of. But um, <laughs> Percy is a guard as well. But he's a big asshole. And he is basically only there because, like, his uncle is the mayor or something and he got him in at this fucking job. Why would a grown man want to work as a prison guard on death row? Because he just wants to watch a guy die. Yeah. Because that's fun. He wants to, like, flip the switch on a motherfucker. Like, okay. Percy's horrible. And uh, I'm sorry I keep showing you movies where the actor is actually a terrible person. Yeah, he's Percy is played by Doug Hutchison, who I actually recognized. He has like a small stint on the show Lost from a million years ago that I loved. Um, But he also played an asshole on that show. So it all works out, I guess. But yeah, he's not a good person. If you really need to look it up, look it up. He married a 16 year old. It's... Well, what, now they don't need to look it up because he just went out and said so you buried the lead, dear. <laughs> Sorry, it's fine. Uh, <sighs> what What can you do? Whatever, it, it's weird. Moving on, Percy's an asshole anyway. But we get arguably, I think, one of the best intros to a character because Percy and Harry are driving this car, and the car is riding on its back axle. Like it looks like there's a lot of weight on the back axle of this car. They get out and they open the back door. This man walks out, and the car immediately hops up. So this guy's got to weigh a ton. Percy's, of course, screaming, dead man walking. And the other guys, the other guards are standing in there like, what is he yelling about? Like, who is he talking to? We all know. Like, we work here. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. We haven't seen this guy's face, but the camera is, like, just showing his chest, and they walk him to the cell. Then they finally pan up, and it's fucking Michael Clark Duncan as John Coffey. What's great about this character and the way it was shot 
in the book, John Coffey is supposed to be like towering over everybody. He's this gargantuan man in size and stature. But Michael Clark Duncan, in reality, I mean, he's a big guy, but he was the same height as David Morse. So it's like they had to use different camera angles and like the furniture that he used was built smaller and shorter to make Michael Clark Duncan look larger and towering over people. Yeah, I think the floor of his cell is also raised a bit, so he's also taller that way. But when he's introduced, his first real question to Tom Hanks, who's giving him the rules and stuff, is like, do you leave the lights on? Because I'm afraid of the dark. And you just get the sense that this guy is just, even though he's on death row, he's this like soft-natured soul. Right. Very soft-spoken, and he's almost like childlike in a way but we get the backstory of the court case of what he had done right what he was convicted of doing we get this manhunt that we saw earlier on and this father finds john coffee sitting with his two girls bleeding from the head and john coffee's literally screaming and the father comes and just punches him in the face and they're like they're basically telling john coffee you're gonna die for this it's just, it's a gruesome thing, but, like, you find out later, obviously, that it's not how it may seem. But another thing I want to mention before we move on is, like, Tom Hanks is in the cell with John Coffey, and John Coffey reaches out his hand, and they shake hands. But throughout the whole film, Tom Hanks and Michael Clark Duncan shake hands multiple times, and each time that it happens, it shows, like, a different aspect or a different progression in their relationship which I thought was really fascinating, like a really cool way to show like how these two men have bonded throughout the course of the film. Well, yeah, because this first one is very tentative. Tom Hanks just knows that this guy is here because he committed a horrible crime. Tom Hanks' whole big spiel is he wants to keep these people calm because he doesn't need there to be problems. Right. Essentially, he says, you know, these men are under a great deal of stress and men under stress can snap. So our job is to talk to them and keep them calm, keep them under control. He actually gives that speech to Percy at one point because Percy's kind of ideology in this film is like, oh, all these guys are pieces of shit. So I'm going to treat them like pieces of shit. And like the psychology of it, I would assume is I feel like I'm a piece of shit. But if I treat them like pieces of shit, then I'm going to feel better about myself. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's a power thing for Percy, too. Right. So we do now get to meet the warden, played by James Cromwell. The warden and Tom Hanks are friends. And the warden basically tells Tom Hanks that his wife is not doing well. Later on, we find out she does have cancer and she's going to die. <laughs> I mean to laugh. I just, for some fucking insane reason, I. <laughs> She's going to no, die. No. <laughs> no, for some reason, when he said she had cancer, all, the only thing that came into my head was the scene from the room. I got the results of the test back. I definitely have breast cancer. That's I'm so such a bad person that you guys, I'm just, I feel like I'm emotionally preparing for what's coming at the end. And that's why I'm trying to make jokes and they're ill-timed. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a bad, bad person. Okay. Please persist. <laughs> so we do find out that Percy has a job opportunity up at the insane asylum. 
but he's holding off taking that job because, as Frankie says, he wants to see somebody die. There is a guy who is scheduled to be executed very soon. Arlen Bitterbuck. We don't really meet Arlen that much. We just kind of know he's there. I don't remember what he did in the book to end up on death row, but I'm assuming it's something bad. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they don't put you there for shoplifting, so... We get the first meeting of Mr. Jingles. (gasps) Now you want to talk about greatest movie entrances. My God. Brutal's watching the block and Paul and one of the other guards is in fucking office or whatever and Brutal's like, hey guys, come here. Look at this. There's another guard on the block and it's a little mouse, a little brown, cute little mouse and he's scurrying around and it's Mr. fucking Jingles (laughs) and he just scurries over and they feed him little crackers and he eats them and he's just so cute. This is one of the moments where I highlighted the score, too, because it's just got, like, the cutest little, like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Everything's fine here on Death Row. (laughs) Yeah, it's cute. Mr. Jingles runs into the padded room, which is filled with shit. And at one point... Well, not actual shit, dear. You never know. This is prison we're talking about. It's filled with, like... You gotta be more specific. It's like a storage room, almost. Yeah, yeah. So they, they do try to find the mouse, but Mr. Jingles disappears. He does appear again... And Percy tries to kill him. And like the other guys are like, dude, chill the fuck out. It's a ma- it's not hurting anybody. <laughs> He's just scurrying around looking for crackers. That's the one thing too. If you're feeding a mouse or a bug, they're going to keep coming back. Shut up, you Percy motherfucker. It's a cute little mouse named Mr. Jingles. I'm, and he's very cute. I'm just saying like it's not. And he sits on your shoulder like a good little boy. <laughs> we'll he's get so there. He's cute. He is very cute. Percy is very cute. I mean, that per- <laughs> Percy is very cute. Percy is very cute. Uh, Mr. Jingles is very cute. Oh, my God. So, Bitterbuck, uh, his family comes to see him before he gets executed. So, we get the practice scene. Yes. Basically, before executions in this movie, like, they send the prisoner off somewhere, somehow doing something while the guards run the rehearsal execution. And... Playing the role of the executionee is a little old man named Toot Toot, which I assume isn't his given name, but we're calling him Toot Toot. Toot Toot. Harry Dean Stanton plays Toot Toot, and this is now the fourth movie we've done featuring Harry Dean Stanton. We had Alien as well, and Pretty in Pink, and Cool Hand Luke, and this. So he just keeps popping up that Toot Toot. He just keeps toot-tooting in. Although this is probably his most filthy character that we've talked about. Because he's just like a crusty, nasty old man. Yeah. We go through the whole rehearsal execution. And the entire time, toot-toot. I just like saying (laughs) toot-toot. Toot-toot. He keeps making these like crass jokes and making guards laugh. You have anything to say before your sentence is carried out? Yeah. I want a fried chicken dinner with gravy on the taters, and I want to shit in your hat. I got to have Mae West sit on my face because I'm one horny motherfucker. Paul Edgecombe, a.k.a. Tom Hanks, is like, guys, stop laughing because this is serious. We have to do this for real tomorrow. You're going to be standing there with this guy being executed and think of some stupid joke Toot made, and you're going to start laughing in the middle of fucking execution. Like, stop. That kind of breaks the jovial moment a little bit. 
but it really is such a stark contrast between the rehearsal and the real thing. You see Arlen Bitterbuck's execution in the next scene, his real execution, and it is just harrowing. I mean, there's even worse coming down the line, obviously. I mean, if you've seen this movie, you know that. But, like, it just gives you a taste of, like, you know the term deafening silence? Like, that's basically what it is. Yeah, we get to his death. We kind of see everything, the wet sponge, all these things that are very important for later on. Yeah, remember the wet sponge, kids. Because Percy is delegated to, like, the fucking back room where the old guy's, like, flipping the switches and shit, you know, so he could watch and learn, you see. And he's asking all these questions, and he particularly asks about the wet sponge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bitterbuck is dead. They're rolling his body away. Percy says something crass. And Brutal basically looks at him and goes, he paid his due, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Brutal and Percy, like, they go to blows more times than even Tom Hanks and him. Because Tom Hanks is kind of the leader, so he really, for the most part, has to keep a level head with Percy. Despite the fact that he hates his breathing guts. Percy tells Tom Hanks at this point, I want to be out front. And Paul kind of agrees, just... Well, he basically, because Percy says, the only way you're going to get rid of me is if I'm out front for one of these executions, and then maybe I'll go off to work at the insane asylum and leave you be and get the fuck out of your hair. Paul even says at this point, he looks at him and goes, it's not enough to see somebody die. You, you got to be close enough to smell them. I believe the phrase he said was, you got to be close enough to smell as a nuts cook. Yeah. Now we move on to the, another prisoner, Delacroix. 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 Sorry. <laughs> Well, that's like the more French way to say it. It's okay. You say it how you want because otherwise it'll just be too funny. We won't get get anything done. I don't think it's ever specifically mentioned what he does to end up on death row in the movie. But in the book, it is explained that he raped and murdered a, a woman. And then in an effort to cover up the evidence, aka her body, he sets her apartment on fire and inadvertently sets the entire building on fire killing a whole bunch of other people in the process yeah i'm kind of glad they don't say that because he well he's yeah i mean he's not a good guy so yeah i know they, they try to paint him as more sympathetic in the movie in the book too but like in the book they at least say like what he did in this movie he does come off as very sympathetic Especially because at some point, he does get his fucking hand broken by Percy. Oh, yeah. That kind of starts their shit throughout the movie. Percy and Dell have a real kind of rivalry going on. But Dell has taken a liking to Mr. Jingles. Yeah. At one point, all you hear in the hall is just laughter from Delacroix. And they go over to his cell and he's literally like playing fetch with the goddamn mouse with a little wooden spool. And he's like rolling it across the cell floor and the little mouse little mr jingles is running to the spool and then rolling it back and he's like climbing up on dell's shoulders and he's it's just it's very cute it's very cute if you don't realize that this man is a fucking serial murderer yeah i get why they cut it out but percy is sent to get the newest inmate william wharton or he as he has a tattoo he's billy the kid or Wild Bill. Or Wild Bill. Or Sam Rockwell, who is the actor that plays him. Yes. This guy, in the book, he's the worst. 
But like Sam Rockwell takes it to another level, I feel. Like he just is just chaos for chaos's sake. And it's explained in the book that he basically feels that way because he knows he's going to die anyway. So like, you can't kill me twice, bitch. I'm going to make your life miserable. But yeah, so they're taking him back. He looks like he's all drugged up. Well, yeah, they go to get him at the mental hospital. Yeah. So he looks very out of it. He's like drooling and they say like, oh, he's doped up. We're going to have to help him change his clothes. And while Harry and Dean are... Harry Dean Stanton. There's a. I just realized that too. There's there's a guard named Harry and a guard named Dean Stanton, and one of the actors in the movie that plays neither of those characters is named Harry Dean Stanton. It's a whole mess. Can we please <laughs> get it together? Why couldn't Harry Dean Stanton play Harry? Why? <laughs> Sam Rockwell, aka Wild Bill, is all fucked up and drooling and while the other two guards are helping to change his clothes and get him out like all together percy of course is just standing there making fun of wild bill because he's a drooling mess but little do they know that wild bill is a big figure oh yeah because as soon as they bring him to the block wild bill starts choking dean uh he froze harry down and percy's scared shitless Oh, yeah, Percy, of course, he's a little pussy. He doesn't do anything. He uh, kicks fucking Paul in the nuts. Yeah. Oh, and he's still got that urinary infection going on, so he's just, like, down for the count. Finally, who comes to save today? Brutal. Who grabs fucking oh Percy's Oh, my God, that was great. Nightstick. And, I've never been more turned on. And... <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> by a prison guard, I mean. Oh, okay, yeah. By, by a prison guard. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get you a nightstick for Christmas. <laughs> Just for fun. The audience doesn't need to know about our <laughs> personal lives. Oh, please. They're intrigued. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> they're into it. Anyway. <laughs> so Brutal knocks out um, Wild Bill. Yes. And uh, he basically saves the moment there. And, uh, and little Barry Pepper, a.k.a. Dean Stanton, he is um, hacking and wheezing. And oh, dear. Yeah, because he had a chain wrapped around his throat. Yeah. What I will say is that I like this scene better in the book because it's like longer and more drawn out. So you really kind of feel like the tension. You really feel like little Barry Pepper's going to fucking die. In reality, it's like such a fast, like everything happens so oh, yeah. fast. It's very energetic, very... Right, of course. And that's like, it's how it should be, really. It's even made better by the fact that it kind of has one of the best jokes in the movie at the end to really lighten the load of what just happened. Tom Hanks talks to the guys and it's like, okay, get this one settled. Go to the infirmary and get this done. Da, 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 da. And the second everyone leaves and the door closes, Tom Hanks crumbles to the floor because his dick is on fire. Poor thing. Oh, yeah. He just got kicked in the nuts. He's got a fucking urinary tract. He's fish. just dying. And he's like splayed out like, ha. Oh. And then it's just silence for like a good couple of seconds. And then John Coffee goes, boss, I need to see you down here. <laughs> <laughs> and fucking Tom Hanks, who's still on the floor, goes, it's not a good time, John Coffey. <laughs> and then he's like, no, 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 boss. I really need to see you down here. So finally, Paul gets up, walks his way over to the cell. He's like, what do you want, John Coffey? He's like, come closer. He takes a couple steps and John Coffey reaches out from his cell, grabs Paul, pulls him in, puts his hand on his balls. Again, that was in the book. And I'm like, 
do they do that in the movie? They're not. They're gonna like show it at a frame or something. They're not gonna show fucking mm. Michael Clark Duncan just grabbing hold of Tom Hanks's nutsack, are they? And sure enough, they do. The score is almost like horror movie. Oh there. yeah, absolutely. Because it's like his hands light up, and the, the lights around him kind of glow extra bright, and yeah. And then suddenly, John Coffey puts Paul down, and he hacks up Locust. Yeah, it's it's described in the book as bugs. It's got very like mystical, religiousy undertones for sure. Basically, Paul looks at John and goes, "What'd you do to me?" John goes, "I was just trying to help." And Paul walks off to the bathroom, and it's the last time we get Tom Hanks pee face. Oh my god, this but is it's... a different. This is a whole other kind of pee face. I felt uncomfortable. <laughs> I felt I felt uncomfy, and that's nothing against Tom Hanks whatsoever. But, like, I felt like I was intruding on a private and beautiful moment, quite frankly. Tom Hanks pees, but it's perfectly fine. This movie is so well-structured. That moment where John grabs Tom Hanks, and it's such a tension-filled moment. Really, it's the first time as the audience and as Paul Edgecombe that you really experience John Coffey's power. And... Then immediately afterwards, you get not only the most satisfying piss I've ever seen in a film. I mean, my God. Then he just he goes home and he makes the most very passionate love to his wife, Bonnie Hunt. After every like intense moment, at least most of them, if not all of them, there's like a really funny moment or a joke to kind of break that tension and keep you going. You know what I mean? It happens sometimes in the book, but I feel like in the movie it's much more prominent. And it, like, I laughed out loud multiple times, which I was not expecting in this movie. <laughs> so I was pleasantly surprised by that. And I mean, not gonna lie, like, he's not like Chris Evans or anything, but like 1999, Tom Hanks can get it. Oh, yeah. I mean, fucking, when was Splash? Splash fucking Tom Hanks can get it, okay? I, I think Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks can get it. I think Tom Hanks could still get Tom it. Tom Hanks could get it. So after Paul is all better now and his dick works just fine, Wild Bill starts making a particularly grand ruckus around the E-block, peeing on the guard Harry, spitting food out at Brutal, and he's just an all-around dick face. So what do the guards decide to do? Well, they decide they're going to pull all those little pieces of furniture out of the fucking rubber room that they have in the back and put his ass in straight jacket and put him in the rubber room. And Sam Rockwell's like, I ain't going in there. What are you going to do? And then Harry, who just got pissed on... <laughs> comes out with a fucking fire hose why do they have a fire hose in a prison i don't know but they fucking do so <laughs> harry has the fire hose walks up to the cell door and he's like piss on me and it's the fucking greatest moment one of the best moments in the movie oh god and they put him in a straight jacket and they throw him in the rubber room this is also where dell's execution day is coming Tom Hanks and Brutal come and talk to Dell, basically kind of checking in with him in the days before his execution. Like, what do you need? Like, any last requests? Food? Da, 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 like, all that good stuff. And all he's talking about is his mouth. What's going to happen to Mr. Jingles? The guards kind of 
weave this magical tale about this magical uh mouse city yeah of like a place where performing mice live and they you know in tallahassee yeah it's just it's just basically a line of shit that they're feeding this guy so like you know he can just die with some peace that the mouse is going to be okay and it's really it's very sweet but percy is in charge of dell's execution at one point uh, he's doing this whole fake smile routine, and he scares Dell and causes Dell to fall to the floor. He's like, "Oh, come on, Dell! I didn't mean anything by it." Uh, he's grabbed by Wild Bill. Yeah, Wild Bill starts choking him. Tom Hanks holds his gun on him, tells him to let him go, and he lets him go. And then the guys see, look down at Percy, and they've realized that he has pissed himself. Then Dell, because he's a little salty at Percy for being an asshole to him for like the whole time he's been there, he's like starts laughing at him because you know fuck him, he's an asshole and he pissed himself. Fuck you, I'm gonna laugh at your fucking stupidity. And the guards tell him to just shut the fuck up. But this kind of is uh, a very important moment in Dell and Percy's little ongoing feud because during Brutal and Paul's conversation with Dell about what's gonna happen with the mouse, Dell is playing with Mr. Jingles, rolling the little spool back. Back and forth he rolls the spool once and it flies out of the cell and little mr jingles runs out into the hallway after the little spool and proceeds to get smushed by percy's big ass foot this is terrible percy he's all smug about it he's like i i knew i'd get him eventually dell is screaming the thing is in the book it's it's just as horrible, and I actually got misty when I read it in the book. I was wondering how they were going to show it in the movie, if they were actually going to show the mouse getting smushed, and uh, they do. They show fucking Percy's big-ass boot going down on this mouse, and I, like, audibly, like, gasped. I was like, oh, my God, they actually showed it. And they, like, the, the sound, you'd hear it sounds, and you're like, oh, my God, no, 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 no. <laughs> Then, like a saving grace, John Coffey reaches out his hand. And he's like, there still may be time. Give me the mouse. And all the other guys are looking at him like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> and Paul picks up the mouse and walks it over to John Coffey. As he's breathing into his hands now as he's holding the mouse, the tail mm-hmm. starts a-moving. And then they all see it, all four four of the good guards. Percy's fucked off by this point. But all four of them see Coffee bring this mouse back to life and then hack up some fucking black bugs and cough them out into the air and then they disappear into nothing. And they're all like, What? What the fuck? And then Paul Edgecombe, like a fucking boss, doesn't bat an eye. He's like, Brutal, you come with me. The rest of you boys get back to your cribbage game. And they just walk away. <laughs> like, um, excuse me. Yeah, Brutal's looking at him like... Excuse me. <laughs> like, uh, can we can, can we explain uh, that? No, I don't give a fuck about the crib. What just happened? And they find fucking Percy. who's like, well, are you going to give me shit about the mouse? And he goes, well, you're just as shit at killing mice as you are at fucking being the prison guard. You couldn't even murder a mouse, right, you dumb fuck? <laughs> and Percy's like... What are you talking about? And he storms over there and Dell's playing with Mr. Jingles. And then the best fucking scene happens. I know I've said that multiple times now. The best thing happens. So <laughs> they're in the room with the electric chair in it. And then he comes back, Percy. And then Paul and Brutal proceed to like take their nightsticks out and just jam him into the fucking electric chair. 
being like, listen here, you little shit. <laughs> I'm going to let you run Dell's execution. You have to put in your paperwork the next day. Yeah, for the transfer to the to the mental hospital. So you need to give us your word that you're going to do that and then we'll be done here. Eventually Percy agrees. He's like, fine, I'll put in the paperwork. And then we get to Dell's execution. <laughs> yeah, they're bringing Dell out. Dell puts Mr. Jingles on Paul's shoulder. <laughs> oh, this is so cute. He just looks at him like dead straight in the face and like, Dell. I can't go in there with a mouse on my shoulder. <laughs> and then John Coffey's like, I'll take him, boss, if Dell don't mind. And he's like, yeah, you take him, John. Because at this point, he's already brought the fucking mouse back to life. Like, it's fine. You can. I trust you to take care of him. Paul walks the mouse over to John Coffey. Frankie starts laughing hysterically as Paul wipes the Yeah, it was shoulder. so cute. He's got to get that dirt off his shoulder. It was so cute. And they take Dell to be executed. They start setting him up. Percy goes to wet the sponge. Does not wet the sponge. Motherfuck. But no, but right before they set him up, Dell says something to Paul, basically along the lines of, make sure Mr. Jingles gets to Mouseville. And Percy proceeds to whisper to Dell, like, it's a made-up fucking place, you asshole. Just thought you should know. And the rest of the guys are like, you fucking idiot. Like, what is your fucking problem? And they're so pissed off, they don't even notice that Percy didn't wet the sponge. And then they set him up. They set up Dell up for the execution. And right before Percy's about to shout the order to light up the damn chair, this was like a really great piece of filmmaking. And Scott said so. I totally agree with what you said. Frank Darabont really does a genius thing here. Because you could do this in a book where you like, oh, what's the character thinking? But you can't do that in a movie. So what Frank Darabont does is he goes in on a close-up of Paul, cuts to the bucket, which there's no water coming from the bucket. Yeah, there's no, like, drip marks on the floor. Cuts back to Paul on the zoom-in, and Paul's like, oh. Yeah, you see, like, the light bulb go off, and then before he can even say anything... Percy goes roll on two and the switch is flipped and then it starts and he like walks over to try and stop it and Brutal's like it's too late it's done it's happening. At, at this point if you stopped it he's going to be in excruciating pain. Yeah. And he starts smoking. It's it's incredibly graphic and just brutal it, and it, it's hard to watch. It's visceral. It's oh it's so and Even Percy starts to turn away, and Paul grabs him and turns him to face him. He goes, oh, I love it. You did this. You have to watch you this. You watch this. Yeah, I loved that part. I don't think that was in the book. I don't remember it being in the book. But if, even if it was or wasn't, it's like a, it's really a powerful moment. It's like, you fucking did this, you son of a bitch. You look. You look at what you did to him. And as he does that, there are flames rising from his face and blue flame. It's just horrible. And at one point, James Cromwell, who's the warden, as you remember, comes up to Paul. He's like, why are we not stopping this? Turn it the fuck off. And he's like, no, we can't. He's still alive. You want to stop while he's still alive? Like, what the fuck? We got, you know? And then as soon as Dell kind of collapses, they Paul, shut off. Yeah, Paul realizes he's dead. He's like, okay, cut it, cut it. I believe Brutal punches him in the face. Oh, he does. Paul calms everybody down, and he's like, it was just a mistake. It will never happen again. Percy's transferring. It's fine. Everything's fine. But the monsters. It's fine. It's fine. Are you sure? Because she has zero adventurer training. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's fine. She'll be fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> During the execution, though, John Coffey feels everything. 
Oh, God, that's even worse. Yeah. Fucking Wild Bill's hooping and hollering like a psycho. But then John Coffey can literally feel everything. And he's holding the little mousy mouse in his hands. There's one point where John Coffey is screaming and crying so much. And he gets so freaked out. The lights start going crazy. Mr. Jingles pops out of Coffey's hands, scampers away. And it's like, oh, shit, what just happened? And then you I don't think you see Mr. Jingles again, do you? No, you don't, you don't see him until the end now. Oh, jeez. Because he, he goes... Mr. Jingles. Why was Mr. Jingles not nominated for Best Supporting Actor? I don't know. I also don't understand how Tom Hanks wasn't even nominated. So everything's now kind of calmed down after everything. And Paul gets an idea. He brings all the boys, all the guards over, except for Percy. Because fuck, he would not bring Percy here. Yeah, why the fuck? When you say all the guards, I don't even count Percy in my head because, like, fuck Percy. <laughs> and he basically says, okay, guys, I want to bring John Coffey out of the mile to the warden's house to cure his wife's cancer. And they're all like, what? What the fuck? He eventually gets them all to kind of agree to it. But they have to do something for their plan. They drug Wild Bill. We love that for him. We love that for him. He needs a nap. <laughs> and then they grab Percy. Oh, my fave. My fave. Put him in the straitjacket. Revenge. And chuck him into the padded room. Oh, it's so wonderful. And literally, it's so funny because when they go to put him in the straitjacket, he's like, you can't do this to me. I know people. Big people. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, they know big people too, bitch. His name is John Coffey. <laughs> well, not even that. Paul looks at me and goes, Percy, we know people too. And they'll kill you. <laughs> and they'll beat you within an inch of your life. And then fucking Brutal grabs his ears, too. That's fucking hilarious. Oh, yeah, that's great. Because <laughs> he's like, you can't make me put my arms in that straight jacket. And, <laughs> and Brutal's like, I bet you I can. <laughs> and he grabs his ears. And, of course, Percy starts screaming like a bitch. And Tom Hanks is like, well, Percy, you got a big man pulling your ears off right now. I suggest you do what he says. So after they lock Percy in the padded room, they turn to John Coffey. And John Coffey goes... We're going for a ride, boss? <laughs> He's like, yes, yes, John, we're going for a ride. Come on. <laughs> and as they're leaving, fucking Wild Bill wakes up from his haze and grabs John Coffey's arm. Oh, my God. This was another fucking crazy, 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 crazy score moment. Just the sting when he grabs his arm. It's like cold water splashing your face. It's like, whoa. <laughs> well, it's what not- happened? What's going on? Nothing's happening. It's just based on the look on Coffee's face and just like there's this like unexplained feeling of dread like something horrible is gonna happen and like you don't really understand it but it's there and just don't know what to do and <laughs> Paul just slowly like grabs Wild Bill's hand and removes it from Coffee's arm and they're like okay let's go <laughs> like that was fucking weird but we're gonna just keep going now well, yeah, Wild Bill. and Wild Bill passes the fuck out and off we go so they bring John to uh, the warden's house and then he's like John do you know why we're here I'll, I'm here to help the lady Yeah. and Brutal looks at him and goes how the hell do you know that I and don't goes, know I just do I just do <laughs> the warden comes out James Cromwell has a shotgun. He goes, what the fuck is going on? And suddenly John Coffey gets out of the car and he's walking over to James Cromwell and he grabs the gun. He goes, I'm here to help. It's so crazy because it's just, just, you just don't want to make a sound because you're like glued to the screen. You're like, oh my God, what's going to happen now? 
Yeah, and John fucking goes up to the wife's room and fucking just sucks the fucking tumor out of her. Plants a fucking nice smackaroo on her. I meant a kiss. He doesn't smack her in the face. Maybe I should. What? <laughs> that would have been, he smacks the cancer out of her. Jesus Christ. Anyway, <laughs> that would have been interesting. You but watch the tumor just fly out of her ear. <laughs> like smack into the wall. So James Cromwell's like, what the fuck is going on? But his wife is perfectly fine now. When coffee heals her, he takes on all this darkness and the cancer inside of him. And he can't hack it up. And he kind of, he keeps coughing, but he's basically got himself together. He looks like he's run ragged, like he's basically, he's sick himself now. Yeah, she gives him her St. Christopher medallion. And it's a sweet moment. I dreamed you were wandering in the dark. And so was I. And we found each other. And we bring John Coffey back to jail. They release Percy. Percy's upset, but they're like, he's not going to tell anybody right now, but eventually he's going to fucking... I mean, Paul, we have to talk about the bitch slap. Paul bitch slaps Percy like a bitch that he is. Percy starts mouthing off to Paul initially, and Paul just whacks him across the face. Oh my god, it was literally everything. I want more Tom Hanks bitch slaps in my life. (laughs) Like, I just want to know... Like, I have to go through his entire filmography and find... I'm sure it's not that many, because he never plays a bad guy, I feel like. I I just want to know where the bitch slaps are. There's got to be more than this one. I just... I need more Tom Hanks bitch slapping in my life. Uh, Well, we'll work on that. We'll write a movie where Tom Hanks bitch slaps somebody. (laughs) Starring Tom Hanks, Kanye West, uh, Pauly Shore. Mm, who else do we hate? Jeffrey Jones. Why do we hate Pauly Shore? Because he's Pauly Shore. I don't know. Pauly Shore will do that in a heartbeat. He's like, please put me back on TV. Well, yeah, to, to be in the movie <laughs> and, with um, Tom Hanks, yeah. Oh, sure. and of course, last but not least, Doug Hutchison, who plays Percy in this movie. Because, you know, everyone loves a callback. That's my pitch for the Tom Hanks slap movie. Okay, we'll start Keep working on that. Keep it in mind, Hollywood. <laughs> anyway. Keep an open mind and a open hand. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's the tagline <laughs> right there. Keep an open mind, dot, 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 and an open hand. <laughs> oh, God. But anyway. So. This is, this is like, this is a big moment. This is the moment where I watched this whole scene coming up. And I was like, damn, I kind of wish I didn't read the book first. Because I feel like if I watched the scene and didn't know what was happening, I would have been like, jaw on the floor. So, so Percy comes out and coffee grabs him, drags him in the cell and like exudes all the darkness into Percy. Yeah, all like the little bugs that come out normally when he heals somebody. He put all those little buggies into him. And Percy's like, not there. Yeah. And he walks down the mile a little bit. And why he looks at Wild Bill. And Wild Bill's like, what do you want? You want to fucking suck my dick? What the fuck do you want? And Percy pulls out his gun and shoots Wild Bill fucking four times. Yeah. Ooh, he had it coming. Paul goes up to coffee cell and he's like, why would you... What did you just do? And he basically has a really powerful great fucking acting moment where he says um they're both bad men i got rid of both of them and he's like you gotta take my hand to understand paul does it he takes his hand 
and John like sends some of his power into Paul and Paul starts getting the flashbacks of what John saw when he was grabbed by Wild Bill and it turns out the two girls that John Coffey was convicted of murdering were actually killed by Wild Bill. Which, I mean, before this point, Paul had said multiple times, like, I don't believe John Coffey murdered those girls. I don't think he's capable of that. I don't think God would give that man a gift like that that could do something like that to a child. And sure enough, he was absolutely right. But yeah, it's incredibly acted by Michael Clark Duncan. He also has another monologue coming up in a little while that's just incredible. So Percy gets taken to the insane asylum. Because he's totally gone. Like, he he is not home anymore. So Paul is coming up on the time where John Coffey's execution is about to happen. And he, he doesn't know what to do. Right. And he has a nice talk with his wife as well. And it's like, I, I can't do anything to help him. And I know he's innocent. Like, how am I going to do this? And he says to his wife, I've done a lot of things in my life I'm ashamed of. But this is the first time I feel like I'm in danger of hell. She tells him, talk to John and see what he wants to do. And he does. He goes to John the next day and he's talking to John. And they're talking about last meal and... Both of them in this scene just have an incredible performance. Like Tom Hanks essentially says, like, when I die and go to the gates of heaven and they ask me why I killed a gift from God, essentially, what am I going to tell them that I did it for my job? And he basically says to John, like, what do you want to do? Like, do you want us to get you out of here and you can try to Run. see how far you can get? And John Coffey is literally like, why would you do something so foolish? No, I don't want you to do that. Because not for nothing, they even mentioned in the book, like, how far is this man going to get? He's like a seven foot tall black man. He's a giant. And he's wanted, like, they know who he is now. He's wanted for murder of two children. Like, there's no way he's going to get very far. And John looks at him and goes, I'm tired, boss. Tired of being on the road, lonely as a sparrow in the rain. I'm tired of never having me a buddy to be with, to tell me where we's going to, coming from, or why. Mostly I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. Oh my god, it's acted so beautifully. This better have been played at the Oscars when they played this fucking movie. Like, oh, best supporting actor. Michael Clark Duncan. Oh, this yeah, scene. I would hope so. I mean, my God. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I can't believe it. I mean, I love Michael Caine. Don't get me wrong. I but do like, too. Jesus Christ. Like, this fucking was so good. Jesus. Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, So, since we can't do anything, John, what do you want? Like, we can do something for you. And he's like, I've never seen one of those moving pictures. Oh, my God. This wasn't in the book. So, I actually didn't know it was coming, even though that one shot of him watching the the movie the projector and like the light backlighting him it's such an infamous shot and i totally forgot about it but then when it came i was like oh my god this is the shot it's so fucking good they're watching top hat the movie that made him cry in the beginning paul and i was like oh my god so we finally get to the night of john coffee's execution they're walking john out and john stops as he sees all these people he goes all these people hate me and Brutal looks at him and goes, we don't hate you, John. And little Barry Pepper's like crying. And Tom Hanks is like, wipe your eyes before you stand up. And he's like, yes, sir. And it's just so sad. The whole thing is so, oh, my God. And it's crazy because obviously when I read it in the book, I cried. But I had just read it 
earlier that day so i didn't know if i was gonna actually cry watching it and i didn't for a while and then as soon as i saw tom hanks start crying that's when i started crying tom hanks is standing there and he gives the little speech like right before he's about to flip the switch and he's just standing there and he can't say it he can't give the order brutal comes over to him and goes you gotta give the order and at one point john does because john does get like one last line he goes i'm sorry for what i am and he and then tom hanks walks over to him and he holds his hand it's like the last handshake and it's like oh my god i can't take it it's so good well it's so fucking sad i can't take it it just breaks me this whole this whole last scene is just heartbreaking tom hanks in this kind of choked up voice says roll on two switch is flipped and john coffee dies we basically cut back to paul back in the nursing home and he's like i know that sounds crazy you, you don't believe me and she's like no because you said your your kids were full grown in 1935 the math doesn't add up and he goes i get it you want to take a walk and him and his lady friend take a walk where he walks every day to this old like shack out in the woods and who's in the shack Mr. Jingles. I I literally can't. I can't. I can't do it. I didn't cry at this part in the book. But for whatever reason, as soon as Mr. Jingles... And again, knew it was coming because I read the goddamn book that morning. Fucking (laughs) Mr. Jingles, like little old Mr. Jingles, pops out of a little cigar box or whatever. And I just start bawling again. Like, what the fuck? And it's crazy because I cried twice at the end of the book but and i'll talk about it but there's a different scene in the book that isn't in the movie it's really the only major difference between the book and the movie yeah but yeah i don't know why the scene just got me because it's like paul basically explains that because uh john coffee kind of zapped a little bit of his life force into the mouse when dell was being executed and because he did the same to paul when he gave him those flashbacks of wild bill they have lived a long life. Yeah. Paul's the, 108 years old. Yeah. Like, and the mouse has now lived 64 years. It's it's insane. So, and they're like, you know, they're just like little buddies. The man and his mouse. It's so cute and but, sad. But Paul goes, the hard thing is, I'm going to outlive you. I've already outlived my wife. I've outlived my kids. My friends. My and friends. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm immortal, but I don't know how long I'm going to live. Yeah. But this is my punishment for killing John Coffey. Right. And that's basically how the movie wraps up. And it's sad. It is a rough ending. Yeah. And yeah. But somehow like. I don't know. I know the book ending, I think, is the, rougher. The book ending is a little rougher, for sure. Ultimately, it's the same ending. I think, despite the fact that Paul feels that it's atonement for him to kind of outlive all the people he loves, and he knows he's, he's going to die eventually, but, you know, the fact that he has to stay here on Earth while all the people he loves aren't there he thinks that's atonement it's very sad and i would hope that it's not true i would hope that you know he's still seen in in whatever god he believes in i'm sure that he's still seen as a good man because he is i feel 
bad because I like him a lot. Paul is just such a likable character, both in the book and in the film. But I see it differently. I see it as even though John Coffey is dead, his gift and his grace, his power, however you want to call it, it still lives on in the world. I see it more as a hopeful, like positive outlook. Yeah, I get it. And I understand that. You know, I don't see it as a total downer. Uh, I do see it as a downer. Don't get me wrong. But like there's still a, a way to twist it and make it. Yeah. Like a positive outlook. There is. It's just, it's one of those things though, like it's it's a, one of those like immortal questions. Like they bring it up in a lot of the movies, like when you're immortal and you watch, like as much as you, you fell in love with this normal person and they're gone and then you watch everyone you know. Right, yeah. Die. Like would you really want to live forever? Yeah. Forever young. Sorry. So, you know, it's it sucks. But in the book, it, again, the different scene that made me cry that was in the book, it doesn't change the ending at all. It's just kind of an add-on. But uh, it did make me cry. So in the book, like some years after like the John Coffey execution, I believe it was like maybe like 20 years or something. Like it was quite a few years afterwards. There is uh, a major bus crash that both Paul and his wife Jan are in. And Jan is killed and Paul is one of the only people in the bus crash that survived and pretty much are unscathed, actually. And Paul basically watches his wife die. And it's it's a rainy night. It's just a horrible scene. And as his wife is lying there dying, Paul looks out into the distance and thinks he sees John Coffey standing there. And he's been calling for help and screaming for help. And he calls out to John Coffey. He's like, please save my wife, John Coffey, please. It's it's just really, it's terribly, terribly sad. Cause it, But it's still, it just kind of brings home the point of, you know, I'm, I'm here. And I, you know, I have to watch the people I love Pass and away. care about die. And I'm still here. So it, it kind of just hammers home that point. So I, I get why they didn't put it in the movie because, like, let's not fucking kill our audience with sadness. But, um, yeah, like, again, watching the movie, I do feel sad, but I also feel, like, a, a hopefulness at the end, in, in a sense. Yeah, well, because they do cut back to this, like, last little moment at on the Green Mile where Tom Hanks is walking the mile and Mr. Jingles shows up. And he just He's picks like, hey, buddy. And he just picks him up. He goes, let's go get you some food. Where you been? <laughs> and yeah, that's that's the Green Mile. Oh, man. This did not feel like three hours also. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. It's it's crazy that Frank Darabont got away with like almost an hour's worth of character development. Like the whole beginning of this movie, like the first like 45 minutes of this movie is all building every character up like extremely well where you like know all these characters oh yeah pretty much like nothing really crazy happens until wild bill shows up yeah i guess that's true actually i didn't think about it that way because it is really well paced so you don't really think of it like in our fragments if that makes sense like just kind of flies by in a lot of ways i mean it's not like you know 90 minutes it flies by but like it it does fly pretty well for yeah. a 
three hour fucking Oscar movie. And I think a lot of that has to do with not just the pacing itself, but like the humor that was sprinkled in there to kind of keep things light, you know, because yeah. there's a lot of heavy fucking harrowing stark moments oh, in yeah. this movie and it's with the humor that was sprinkled in and it's good fucking humor it really kind of softens things because you don't have the narration from older paul or like you know like the kind of like the thought bubbles of him like that's in the book to kind of help with that you yeah kind of just have to rely more on like the little jokes and the quips here and there which is done really well yeah, it is. It's done extremely well. But I think you have one last thing for us before we wrap this up. Oh, yes. Well, I figured uh, since, you know, the ending of this movie is very bitter and or bittersweet. So I thought we could end with an oldie but a goodie, dear. Oh. Um, do you remember a little segment we used to do quite a bit on this show? It's called... The cast could have been. Yes, I do. Yay! Let's do the cast could have been because okay. um, both Paul Edgecombe and John Coffey have very interesting cast could have been. Okay, let's start with Paul. Okay, let's start with Paul. Let's start with Tom Hanks. Now, there's the the typical candidates. We have a Mr. Michael Douglas. Makes sense. Mr. Kevin Costner, okay. Jeff Bridges, yeah, well, Richard Gere. Okay. Okay. You know, nothing too crazy there, right, guys? Right? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> there was a gentleman that was offered the role, I'm guessing, but turned it down? Maybe? I just put offered in parentheses, so I'm guessing he turned it down. Thankfully, John Travolta <laughs> oh boy. was offered the role of Paul Edgecombe, and I'm so glad that that didn't happen. Not to say that John Travolta is a terrible actor. He has some good movies. However, I don't want to see him attempt a southern accent. No. I don't. I don't. Because I feel like he would have done it cartoony, and that's not necessary. <laughs> and this is 1998. 99. 99. I think face-off is around this time. I think so as well, actually. Yeah, it sounds about right. So, uh... Nope. 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 So, yeah, out of those four, because we're not counting Travolta, because we all agree that Travolta wouldn't be a good choice, um, who would be the second choice? Uh, probably Costner. Mm, well, yeah, because... I like Jeff Bridges a little Jeff better. Bridges is, Jeff Bridges. I trust Jeff Bridges a little better it because both. Kevin Costner is like deadpan at all times. Yeah. He doesn't know how to emote. But I don't enjoy his level of emote. Yeah, but Jeff Bridges is also a little maybe too zany. No, 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 no. I mean, he can be zany, but he can also be very not zany. And we love that. Yeah, I, I'd go with Jeff Bridges. You'd go with Costner. That's okay. I don't think he'd be bad necessarily. I just think like we we need more from uh, this character than well, Costner can provide. Well, we got Tom Hanks, so we were, we we're good with that. Yes, definitely. Tom Hanks is the goat. He is the obviously right choice, so we're we're good there. And uh, same thing with Michael Clark Duncan. Of course, I mean Michael Clark Duncan makes this character, this whole role, 
launched his career really i mean this this made him shoot off into the stratosphere as far as his career it made michael bay want to want an oscar for yes and also fucking the next year following this movie he became the most iconic character of all time frankie figs in whole nine yards if you haven't listened to our whole nine yards episode please do because i literally have a nervous breakdown (laughs) at the end of it and it's quite hilarious, if I do say so myself. Now, you know what isn't hilarious? Well, it actually is hilarious. There's there's two cascoda bins for John Coffee. One is perfectly fine, acceptable. One is not. Okay. <laughs> one is very not. Hit me with the acceptable one first. Ving Rhames. Okay. Yeah. Yes. It's it's fine. It's fine. It's acceptable. It's okay. You think pulp? You think you know? Marcellus Wallace, it works. Okay, now I'm going to say some words to you about our not acceptable choice. I'm I'm feeling a very steely stare. Oh, Shaq. I'm feeling a little magical, like maybe some Kazam when he does his little, uh, you know, his little healing powers. He could do Kazam. Uh, Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Well, okay. (laughs) Perhaps Shaquille O'Neal. So, okay, let me get into... At least why Shaq was probably considered. Well, because he's big black guy that was famous at the time. I get that. Well, he, But at the time, what movies was he doing? He was doing Steel and Kazam. Well, he, in Steel, he did Kazam. He also did uh, Blue Chip. I think that's what it's called. What the fuck is that? I don't even know what that is. It's, it's a basketball movie. Why don't you just ask Michael Jordan while you're at it? Well, Shaq in 1998 was a monster of a man. Because I am. Because I am. Ooh, damn. He was also still ripped out of his mind. Let's greet him. <laughs> and you don't have to you don't have to hide anything because Shaq towers over everybody. Scott, let's greet him and ham it. <laughs> I'm trying to be serious about this. It's so stupid. How can you possibly be serious? Just because he's 7-1, so you don't have to hide the fact that like he's just as tall as any of the other characters. But honey... Honey, he can't act. I'm not saying he can. Can act? Can you see him doing the I'm no. tired boss monologue? I can't, and I know he wouldn't have done well. He would have destroyed this movie. But I'm try. But I'm trying to think of like why they even were like, because yeah, you watch Kazam, you watch Blue Chip, you watch these movies, and you're like, mm, I don't know what we were thinking. And but you're like, but he's seven one. We don't have to hide anything really. But you can't and make him act. You probably would. It's not like he's a nobody character or like a side person. He has to act. You probably would have cut some of his dialogue down. He barely has any dialogue until like the end. Up till that point where he has those two big monologues. He like says one or two words in a sentence every fucking time you see him. You probably could have gotten away with most of it. Those oh my god, you are in fantasy land. I'm not saying again. I'm not saying it would be good. Right. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying what the studio probably thought. Oh my god. Well, thankfully they, you know, made the right decision. Yes. My god. Ew. No. <laughs> just no. <laughs> Ugh. It's so it like that when I read that I was like hysterical laughing. <laughs> so that's why I just felt we needed to lighten the mood at the end of this episode with some fucking hilarious cast could have been. Oh, what do you think about that, dear? Who would be the better second choice? Ving Rames or Shaq? Thing Rames. 
because Ving Rhames, I think, is an underrated actor to begin with. But you know, that's neither here nor there. I think there. I've only seen him in Pulp Fiction. He's he's been in Mission Impossible. He's a good actor. He just you know. Oh right, he is in the Mission Impossible movies. I saw one of those at some point. Maybe I've seen him in something else. Then I don't know. He's been around the but block. He's, yeah, he's he's been around. Uh, but Ving Rhames would have been the choice. Uh, but that is cast of the bins. So overall, Frankie, what are your final thoughts on the Green Mile? Um, it's incredible. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. In my mind, it's a perfect movie. Um, it's a really perfect adaptation of the of the book, which again is like my new favorite Stephen King book. And um, yeah, holy shit, it's great. I love it. So what? Five you- out of five. Okay, there we go. <laughs> uh, Did I mention that? Five out of five. I agree wholeheartedly. This is a movie. You can't watch it every day. <laughs> this is a movie. <laughs> this is a movie. Uh, you can't watch this movie every day. No, it's a little too heavy. But every time I've watched this movie, it's entrancing. It's It drags you in. The performances are amazing from everybody all around. The, the director work is also great those little zooms yeah cinematography is great are unbelievable like score is great score is great there is nothing about this movie that needed to be changed it is a perfect movie from start to finish if you haven't seen it go see it just just do it it's on hbo max so that was the green mile Okay, so next week we're going to have a significantly less heavy film to discuss. I'm going to be showing Scott uh, a light and fluffy rom-com, so I can't wait for that. I need to mentally and emotionally recover from the sadness that has occurred here tonight. There's only two movies that we've done on the show that have made me cry. This and Train to Busan, and I, I... did cry harder at Train to Busan. I sobbed like throughout most of the movie. Well, I think it's also because you didn't know what was coming. Yeah, I think so too. Like I said, I feel like if I didn't know what was coming, it would have been more of a hit watching it for the first time. But I digress. This was a fantastic movie. And next week will be a much lighter but also really fun movie. So until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Spots. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. And check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. And pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. Make sure you vote for us for Best Podcast of Long Island. You can vote every single day. Check for the info in our social media and make sure you come back next week for our romantic fanciful movie adventure y'all listen up here's the story about a little guy that lives in a blue world and all day and all night and everything he sees is just blue like him